to Philemon. Verses 8 through 17. When you get to Philemon in your Bible, look up at me and say, he paid it all, man. Man, I heard the man in there. All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord because we are thankful to God for his word. You can respond with thanks be to God. Follow along and have your eyes on scripture with me. Philemon, beginning in verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. It is good to see you. I missed you last week, but you were left in good hands. And so can we just thank Mr. Mike Pollard for bringing the word to us last week on Father's Day. It was good. I loved it. Listened to it, man. It was awesome. I was encouraged. Um, Roman and I had a good time. I spoke at a youth convention that I speak at almost every year, and so we had a great time, but I'm excited, man. I miss you guys. I, I get the opportunity to speak a lot of places, but there's nothing like speaking at home to the people you know and to the people that you love, and so this is, this is home for me. And so we jump back into the study of the New Testament book Philemon. And what we're doing is just walking through this ancient letter. The context of this letter is two parties are at odds with each other. And this letter deals with forgiveness, friendship, freedom, and practical everyday issues that we deal with. And when I was reading the verses and sort of walking through the next couple of weeks, um, I was reminded of a situation back in the day um, with me and my wife. And it was long before um, we actually knew each other. Um, I had come back home. I say this often. I was doing so well in college. They asked me not to come back for an extended period of time. And so um, I was at home like any good college student. And it was Friday night in Donovan. And on Friday night in Donovan during the fall, you go to the Donovan gym and watch the basketball game. And so the basketball team was doing phenomenal at that time. And I didn't know anybody. And so mom and dad said, we're going up there. So I was sitting in the stands and saw a group of girls walk in and walk across the gym floor and saw one young lady in particular. And so started asking my mom and dad, you know, who is that? And there was a lady sitting next to us whose um, husband, they were doing the volunteer work for the student ministry at my dad's church. And her name was Phyllis Guthrie. And I said, Phyllis, who is that? And she kind of told me who it was. And so I wanted to speak to this young lady. So I did what any dapper gentleman does is I sent someone else to go talk to her. And so um, I sent Phyllis um, across the gym um, to go talk to Courtney. And so I watched Phyllis sort of walk across the gym and make her way up in the stands. And she sits down next to Courtney and sort of talks. And then she points over at me. Then I act like I wasn't looking and sort of hung out and put out the vibe. You know what I'm saying? And so 
hung out, and so Phyllis sort of asked, and I saw them talking, and Phyllis came back over, and she said, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's not good news for you. Um, <laughs> she's dating somebody, and he's a, he's a starter on the basketball team, and so, yeah, it's uh, not looking good for you. And so I didn't let that deter me, so um, I still tried to pursue until my father-in-law now, but then Courtney's dad said, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't... Uh, I don't want you talking to that thug. You don't really need anything to do with that guy. And so, but listen, ladies, this is good advice. Um, My wife set a good example. Um, She didn't want anything to do with me either. And then I came to meet the Lord and so met Jesus, bought a Bible, started serving in church. And then through happenstance, uh, her and her boyfriend broke up. And so now here we are. So ladies, ladies, here's the qualifications for a guy, okay? Jesus a Bible, a church, and a job, okay, right? Those are your dating qualifications right there, right? If he's got that, we can go places. We can do stuff. But listen, here's the reason why I say that. Um, Courtney and I did not know each other, and we weren't at odds with each other by any means, but we were still apart, and we needed someone to bring us together. And that's what we see in the book of Philemon, and so we've sort of been walking through which, which person are you? There's three parties in this letter. Why does this apply to you? And so we've asked, have you, have you ever been hurt before? Has someone sinned grievously against you? Then you are Philemon, who the letter is addressed to. Or something that we never really talk about is, what if you are someone who has hurt somebody? You've lived a life of turmoil. You have sinned grievously and greatly against someone, you don't know what else to do, you're sort of stuck in shame and in guilt, well, then you are Onesimus. Or are you the third party sort of stuck in the middle? Do you have somebody who kind of there's two parties here, dinners, awkward, family dinners are awkward, friendships are awkward, you got to hang out with this person, but you're getting text messages from the other person, hey, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, I'm at the store, and then they bump into you walking around Marshalls, and you're like, oh, I didn't know you were with them, and then you're like, oh, because you, do you see what I'm saying? So if that's you, then you're the Apostle Paul. And so here's what we're going to do. We've looked at principles on the path of forgiveness each week. Before you address what's wrong, you acknowledge what is right. And you understand that love is is the greatest motivation. The only thing that can produce lasting change is, is love. Over the next three weeks, this week and then two more weeks, we're going to look at each character in this letter and look at the characteristics that they have. And this week, we're looking at Paul. What does it look like? What do I need to do if there are two parties that are at odds with each other and I'm stuck in the middle? What am I supposed to do? And now actually the responsibility for each and every one of us in here is great because the scriptures would bear a great responsibility upon you. Because we are actually reconcilers as believers. For it is the reflection of the very heart of God. The Apostle Paul says these words, In 2 Corinthians, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying you're an ambassador for Christ. God is making his appeal through you. 
So think about it this way. You are actually in some ways the answers to your own prayers. Oh God, do something in their life. Oh God, the marriage is falling apart. Oh God, do something in their life. God's going, yeah, I am. It's you. You. You're in their life. You have a relationship with both of them. I am making my appeal through you. And then Jesus. Jesus hits us on the Sermon on the Mount for the characteristics of the people that are in his kingdom. And he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So the people who are making peace, question, question, where do you have to go to make peace? Right? In war. The only way to make peace is to enter in where conflict resides. And so here's the big idea of the jelly on the bottom shelf today is this. Reconciliation is the responsibility of every believer. We don't abide by the world's rules in here. So when it comes to, oh, mind your own business, oh, that's their problem. See, see, listen, everybody wants community, right? Everybody wants a potluck. Everybody wants a barbecue. Everybody wants a baby shower. Don't nobody want that coffee to say strong stuff to somebody, right? That's what this is. If we are to have biblical community, we are to be reconcilers. And you know what my job description is, actually, according to Ephesians chapter 4? Not to do the work. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So today is sort of like a counseling session a little bit. It's going to make my job a little bit easier. That if you nail down the characteristics as to what it is to be a reconciler and to enter into two parties that are opposed to each other, then my office schedule will die down a little bit because you're doing that work. Right? Because reconciliation is the responsibility of every believer. So here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see a passion a proposal, a purpose, and a payment, okay? The first thing that we see is this, a passion for both parties. A passion for both parties involved. Jump up and look in verses 4, 4 through 7. Paul's talking to Philemon here. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love. And I'm the faith that you have to the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. Paul's writing to Philemon saying, bro, I love looking at your Facebook status, man. So many people were saved in church this Sunday. You baptized this man, bro. Philemon, I love what you're doing, man. You are a brother in Christ. But now drop down and look at the characteristics that he talks about in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. What Paul's literally saying in the original language there is like I, I birthed. Onesimus. I was there through the labor pains. When he came and was born again, I was there. And then he says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So here's what I love about this. The Apostle Paul's entering into the situation, but he acknowledges his investment in both parties. The Apostle Paul says, I love this about you, Philemon. I love this about you, Onesimus. And listen, what Paul's showing us is that in order to be a reconciler, you can't have favorites, right? 
So probably asking someone to come in, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's a friendship. You don't need to ask somebody into the situation who has maybe a bias towards you. I don't know, like your mom. Probably not a good reconciler into that situation, right? Because that's my baby, right? And you could do no, right? See, see Paul's saying, no, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. And Paul's actually mirroring a theology of God. Because look at what it says in Romans 2.11. For God does not show favoritism. Right? God doesn't have a favorite kid. You understand that, right? For we are all one in Christ. Slave, free, Jew, Gentile, man, woman. For we are all one in Christ. So what you have to understand is, is when you enter into a situation, listen, you don't have an agenda. You have an allegiance. And your ultimate allegiance is to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. I'm entering in. So as agents of reconciliation, your allegiance is to Jesus and only Jesus. That's the only way you can enter into this situation. So listen, if you get asked into a situation, and you know your heartstrings are going to be tugged to one person more than they are the other, you got to opt out. You have to bring in an unbiased party. And sometimes it's the only option you have to enter in. Many years ago, Courtney and I received a phone call from very, very dear friends of ours. And some life-changing things had happened in their marriage. And so, We hopped in the car. Roman was first born. My parents kept Roman. We hopped in the car and spent a couple days with them, and it was like DEFCON 9. It was serious, man. And we had to sit at a table, and I had to look at one of my best friends in the eye. And I had to say something very hard. I had to call him a liar. I had to say, you're lying to me, man. You're lying to me. Because listen, faithful are the wounds of a friend. My allegiance, I don't have an agenda here. My allegiance is not to you and it's not to you. My allegiance is to Christ and the truth. So I've got to sit here and I've got to have a passion for both parties involved. But ultimately, that passion is driven by an allegiance to Jesus Christ. You understand that's how serious it is. First characteristic is a passion For both parties. The second thing that I see is this. Is a proposal to participate. Look at what Paul says there in verses 13 through 14. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Right? There it is again. We get it, Paul. You're in jail for loving Jesus. Okay? Right? I'm just teasing. It's pretty cool. I would say that. Are you kidding me? I'd say that like every other line, man. Right? Remember, I'm in jail. Right? Okay? Right? On my headstone in prison for Jesus, you know, verse 14. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion out of your own accord. I need to ask you something. I wanted to keep Onesimus here with me because it's helpful because I'm in prison. The way Roman prisons worked back then, you could have someone bring you something. You could do all of those things, but you had to have someone there. So Onesimus was probably that person for Paul. Very beneficial to have someone there with you. But Paul says, yo, 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 before I send him back, I want to let you know he's coming. 
And the reason why is I don't want to do this out of compulsion. I don't want to guilt this in you. Remember, for love's sake, Paul's concerned about motivation. And he's asking to enter into this scenario and situation. Remember, he has, he has the rank. He's an apostle. He can, he, can enter, he can kick down the door, get all up in the Kool-Aid, and make this happen. But he's saying, I'm, I'm asking again, can I enter into this? Anytime I do premarital counseling or even marriage counseling, I always ask how the engagement happened. How the proposal go down? Tell me about this. Tell me about this. And even if it's marriage counseling, I'm going to go back to that moment because I always want to reinforce that there was a choice, right? So listen, none of this Cupid, baby with an arrow, bachelor, Nicholas Sparks, okay, none of that stuff. That's garbage, okay? Love is a choice, not a feeling. It is the act of the will. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because he felt like it, but because he set his affections on us. It was a choice. And then the proposal. Will you marry me? Choice. Ladies, ladies, listen, listen. You said yes. I'm just saying. Listen, listen, listen. There's a point here. I want to go back to it, right? Because when everything hits the fan and it's DEFCON 9, I want to remind you, you made a choice. Yes. I'll enter into this thing. And if I'm going to fight with someone for the rest of my life, I might as well fight with you, I guess, right? And listen, here's what I'm saying. Oftentimes, the reason why people don't receive our advice and receive because we haven't asked hey, I know this is going on, and you've shared this with me. So I'm asking you today, can I enter into this situation with you? Because listen, there are some situations that you can only be invited into. There are some situations that you can simply only be invited into. Now, you can make the proposal Hey, I'm asking to enter into this situation. Can I do this? And then the responsibility is no longer yours. You've done your part. And when they say yes, and then times get tough, and you have to look at someone and say, you're lying, that's not true, and they get angry with you, what do you have to go back to? You have to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, 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 remember, remember? I asked, and you said yes. And this is where we are now. I think we can learn a valuable principle from, from, uh, from the Apostle Paul. That there are some situations that you can only be invited into. So you have to have a passion for both parties. An ultimate allegiance to Jesus. There's a proposal to participate and be involved in this. But the third thing is, I love this, there's a purpose in here. A purpose, great purpose. It's God's glory. God's glory. Look at what he continues to say, verse 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was departed from you. For a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant or a slave, but more than a bondservant or a slave. As a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and, here it is, three words, in the Lord. Game changer. The stakes just got higher. 
The Apostle Paul says, listen, you thought this situation, we're going to get into this next week, and it's awesome. I might preach half my sermon right now because I'm really excited about it. But listen, the Apostle Paul is saying, that situation that you thought was so horrible, that didn't produce anything, what if God was at work in that situation, and he was producing the very thing that you actually needed, and now it's all about Jesus. Now you're brothers in Christ, and now Jesus' name Jesus' name is at stake. But Paul is coming in and he is changing the way that Philemon and the way that Onesimus are looking at this. Because how do you think Onesimus and Philemon are looking at it? Philemon can't look past Onesimus, right? Here's the dude that did the wrong. I can't even look past that. Onesimus maybe can't even look past himself. I've done something. How do I even forgive myself? He can't look past this. Listen, there's a difference, and maybe this illustration will help. It's a difference between a microscope and a telescope, okay? So a microscope takes something small and makes it very, very big, right? Like this right here, like the butterfly. Like, look at how this zooms in, right? There's the butterfly, 500 times zoomed in. You can see every detail in the butterfly's wings, That's what it's like when you're in the situation, when you're in the marriage, when you're in the conflict, 500 times magnified. Man, did you see the Facebook status today? Probably about me. Can you believe that? They said, we're at the movies. We used to go to the movies. (laughs) They probably bought the blue slushy, just like I like. They're probably drinking it because I'm not there, right? I mean, you are in this thing, man. It is like 500 times magnified. It is everywhere I go. I see this. I wake up. I go to bed. I dream about it. I'm in this thing. What does a telescope do? A telescope shows you a much bigger picture. Like, how about this telescope picture of NASA? This is the little white dot on the left is you... Um, about, what is it, 300 million miles away. And then the little white dot up in the right is the moon. There you are. Look at all you've done right there. I think I can see your boat from this picture right here. Look at that. The yard I mowed right there. Baby, look, look at all I did right there, right? You understand what I'm saying? A telescope shows a much much bigger picture. Maybe this will help. Pastor Tyler, Kayla, come up here. Stand right here. Give a round of applause. They're in the sermon now, right? They're in the sermon. Come stand right here. Tyler, you can stand right here. Kayla, you can stand right here. Now, I'm using them as an example. They are dear friends. They are a godly couple, and they are striving to make Jesus the center of their marriage, okay? Let's say that there's conflict here. Let's say they're family members. There's something going on here, right? A Philemon and an Onesimus, Let's just be honest, Kayla's probably Philemon because she's right, okay? Let's just go ahead and say, I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing, I'm trying to help you out here, okay? So listen, here's, here's what Paul does, here's what a reconciler does. He comes in the middle and says, listen, the divorce, it's not just about this. The divorce is not just about you. There's kids involved here, man. Jesus' is name... Therefore, a man should leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And I say that this mystery is profound because it refers to Christ and the church. It's not about your marriage. It's about Christ. It's not about this conflict. It's about your church family, and it's about your small group, and it's about your work. See, when they're in the situation 500 times magnified, they can't see past each other. 
But a reconciler comes in and says, this is so much bigger than this. Jesus' name is at stake here. God's church is at stake in here. So listen, a reconciler changes a perspective. And oftentimes you need a change of perspective in order to see that the purpose is God's glory. So see, you come in and you say, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about God's glory in this situation. Okay, you guys are out of the sermon. You're done. Give them a round of applause. Okay, awesome, great. So listen, that's what a reconciler does. He comes in and he has a passion for both parties. He has a proposal to enter into the situation. Oh, but he sees a purpose. All of this happened. This scenario happened. And I don't know. There's a thousand things going on. I don't know a lot. But all I know is this. You're 500 times magnified into this. And there's a much bigger picture that's taking place. You can't see past this. And I'm trying to tell you 25 years from now, the decision that you made will have an impact now. It will. But you have to have a change of perspective. And that's our job. As a third party, we enter in. But how does it all work? And the last thing is difficult for us. And it's a payment. And the payment is, it's your own self. Because look at what Paul says, verse 17, 18, and 19. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. See, Paul knows something here. Here's what good friends do. Here's what a reconciler does. They enter into the situation and they know this they're probably going to have to carry the load and the majority of the responsibility between the conflict. Because the reason the conflicts happened is both parties have opted out to carry the conflict. I'm done with this. I'm not carrying this anymore, man. I've put it in day in, day out. I've done this no more. I am tired to my bones. I'm done. And the reconciler comes in and realizes, okay, there's this broken pieces in the floor. I have to pick this up. And I have to invest in this. You see, do you really want to do this? And, And here's a standard to see if you really do love, right? Because we invest in what we love. I mean, I love a vacation, Right? So I'm going to make time. I'm going to invest in that. I love this. I'm going to make time for that. And so if, if you're a reconciler and you understand and you love both parties and you love God's glory, then you're going to enter in and you're going to invest. But Paul says, charge it to my account. If they've done wrong, I will repay it. What's he saying? What does he mean? Here's what I think Paul's saying, okay? And here's an illustration. So when I bought my first car, um, it was a 2001 Hyundai Ascent, baby. 
four-door manual windows, AM, FM radio. I basically almost had to remove the driver's seat and just sit in the back of the car. The, the car was so small. When I got out of it, I looked like a clown car getting out of that thing, right? But guess what? I never put more than $21 in the gas tank, baby. I'm t- I put $20 and drive to halfway around the world in that car, man. But I'll never forget my brother John who's significantly older than me, teaching me about, you know, you go to the bank, you get this, and then the bank says, we're doing you a great favor. We're only going to charge you 8%. We're going to loan you the money, and you're going to put our money in there, and then we're going to charge. It's a great deal. It's a great deal. And then the car dealer tells me, it's a great idea. You buy it for this, and then when you trade it in, we're not going to give you a tenth for it. It's great. It works out fantastic, right? So he's teaching me all of this, and in order for me to get the loan... My brother John co-signed for me. What's a co-signer? If I mess up on the payments, right, we're going to come after you then. This is fantastic. And I'll never forget, first time I missed my payments, right, because I bought the new Jordans that came out, and I thought the car payment can wait. That's fine. I need these shoes. I need these shoes, man, right? And I'll never forget the next month, a little bit after the first, my brother John called my phone. He said, hey, Craig. Always called me Craig. Oh, Craig, how you get fired on your day off, Craig? Right, Craig? You make your car payment, Craig? Yeah, man, yeah, man, I sit it in. You make your car payment, Craig? Yeah, man, I, I was a little late. I postmarked it. I mean, it's probably in the bank there somewhere right that. He said, Craig, you didn't make that payment because I got the call, right? What John did, listen, don't miss this. John put his name down as a payment, that if this person can't make it, charge it to me. A reconciler comes in because they believe it's their responsibility. And they enter in and they say, put my name down on the relationship. Listen, listen, Bill. Listen, look look at me. If you love me, man, you'll make this right. Listen, listen, I know he did this to you, and I know he said this, but if you love me, charge it to my account, and do it because you love me, and make this right. Lay the payment down. I'm co-signing on this conflict now. So now I'm calling. Now I have a vested interest in this. But honestly, what's, what's Paul doing? Paul's not just doing it to be a good guy. I'm in prison again. I'm Paul. I'm doing everything right. Oh, he's not doing that. What's he doing? He's simply reflecting Jesus. Because listen how much bigger. Let's go telescope on this. Philemon was right. He was wronged by Onesimus, and Onesimus ran away. And Paul steps in and makes a payment and invests in the relationship. Our God was a holy God and created everything good and perfect in due time. And he created man in his own image and likeness. But man, rather than to worship God, chose to be God. And when God was walking in the cool of the garden that day, he cried out, Adam, where are you? Because Adam had ran away. But then the prophets would continue to say, he's going to make it right. He's going to make it right. He's sending someone. He's sending someone. And then when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born by a woman, born under the law to redeem those. This is what Paul says. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace 
by the blood of the cross. Why? Why when Jesus was dying, one of his last seven statements, did he say, it is finished, which in the Greek means paid in full, or to say it another way, charge it to my account because it's done. And he hung his head and he breathed his last and he gave up his spirit. You see, Paul is simply reflecting Jesus because reconciliation requires sacrifice on everyone's part. So listen, how serious is it in a world where conflict abides and we run away from everything and we blame and no one takes responsibility? Listen, we need an army of reconcilers to go out and to save marriages and to save homes and to save churches because it's our responsibility as believers. I love how Spurgeon says it this way, and we'll end with this. Our love ought to follow the love of God in one point Namely, in always seeking to produce reconciliation. It was to this end that God sent his son. Has anybody offended you? Seek reconciliation. Oh, but I am the offended party. So was God. And he went straight away and sought reconciliation. Brother and sister, do the same. Oh, but I have been insulted greatly. Just so. And so was God. All the wrong was towards him. Yet he sent. Oh, he sent. The party is so unworthy. And so are you. But God so loved the whole world. That he sent his only son. So, so listen, you've got some homework. If reconciliation is the responsibility of every believer, you have in your bulletin what we named a relational investment receipt. Why is it a receipt? Because you're paying for it. If anything has been done wrong, charge that to my account. My name's on the line. I'm invested in this now. And so you have some names, the Philemon party and the Onesimus party. Who's in conflict? What's the problem? Put the name down. Pray for him. Put the name down. And then at the end, sign your name. Because how many prayers has God already answered if we just simply gave him our yes? If we just simply were like, Paul, I am bold enough to write to you in Christ. God's name's on the line here. So I'm entering into this situation. So maybe in just a moment, before you come and partake in communion, you come down and you pray for the family member, for the friend. You write down the names. You pray and you say, God, let us have a passion for both parties. Go with us when we sit down and we have the proposal, can we enter into this situation? God, change change the perspective here. We've got to enter in and do this. And then lastly, give us grace as a payment so we can offer that. Would you stand right where you're at? And we will close just like we've closed every week with the reading of the Lord's Prayer. And when we get to the section, forgive us of our sins as we forgive others, may we understand that God reconciled us to Himself. Let's read this out loud together, Westside. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We understand this truth, another principle on the path to forgiveness. That reconciliation is the responsibility of everybody in this room. There will be some people who will come forward and write names down. It's a serious situation. But we know that our sins were many, but your mercy and grace was more. And now because we are reconciled back to you, we now go out from you as agents of reconciliation. May marriages be changed, may families be restored, and may relationships be reconciled through the agents of reconciliation in this room. We pray this all in the mighty and in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.